behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we're back. And today it is episode 39. This guy is our special Valentine because it's Valentine's Day and we are recording two in one day. And we are so excited for our guest today. So he is our special Valentine. We're so excited. And you guys know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, on Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast, or on a regular browser at www.behaviorbitches.com. Go ahead, leave us a five-star review. We literally live for that shit. Leave that review. And if you have nothing nice to say, as your mother said, don't say it at all. Thanks. Okay. So now, Casey, what's our review of the day? Well, I was going through Apple Podcast reviews, and I thought it was only fitting that on January 13th, we were left a review from a girl named Chelsea G.A.M., right? Love this podcast, five stars. I was just a guest on this podcast, and Casey and Leah are amazing and incredibly easy to talk to. Thank you for making ABA more accessible to the world and keeping it fun and interesting. Keep it going. You are killing it. Chelsea, if you guys remember, was our guest on, she runs the Out Loud podcast on selective mutism. And the reason that this is so perfect for today's review is that our guest actually reached out after hearing that podcast or someone of his, you know, in his circle heard it and told him he was referenced on it. He ended up knowing Chelsea um, and he is like the Skinner in the psychology world. We are so pumped to have him. Um, So let's start introducing him, right? All right. Steve Kurtz is an internationally recognized expert in child psychology with specializations in a number of areas, including but not limited to ADHD. He told me I had ADHD in the first second of meeting me. Um, I don't think that takes an expert. Oppositional genius. (laughs) (laughs) Oppositional defiant behavior, anxiety, and educational challenges. He also is the founder, hashtag God, hashtag Skinner of Selective Mutism programs at both NYU Child Study Center and the Child Mind Institute. He created the Brave Buddies and Mighty Mouth programs, serving the needs of children around the globe with selective mutism. So this was really cool because all the articles we referenced in the show with Chelsea were his articles. And then we have this really cool smart ass guy reaching out to us talking to the behavior bitches and we're like we've made it we have made it welcome to the show steve i feel like i made it oh you're too cute today <laughs> you're the best valentine ever <laughs> you're better than my husband <laughs> just kidding <laughs> steve we're so happy to have you we're so happy that we were connected and i know there's another little relation that so it wasn't just chelsea it was also Liat's the- sister right was have dinner with your uh, my work colleague my number uh, yeah Carly Mayer. So there's a lot of different circles here that we're running in that are all similar and we're just so happy to have you we talked with Steve on the phone for or we did a zoom session right our outlining um it was probably an hour and a half I actually had to like get off of it and Leot kept talking to him which is awesome I'm still so- grinning <laughs> yeah so we have a lot to talk about with him to dive deeper into um, the selective mutism, what he's doing with his, um, you know, in his lab, in his clinical setting, and all the stuff is so amazing. Liat, break down the behavior principles, please, Mrs. Sachs. All right, robot. today I am going to robotically do behavioral principles. There's so many things, and this is awesome. ABA implemented a not in a non 
autism context, which I think is super cool. Okay, ready? We have errorless learning, SDs, shaping, successive approximations, positive reinforcement, token economies, faded token economies, negative reinforcement as the maintaining variable, multiple functions of behavior, behavior deficits versus behavioral excesses. Ex yeah, excesses, sorry, okay. We have skill versus performance deficit. We have mediation involving all stakeholders. We have socially valid, significant behaviors. We have generalization and maintenance of skills in the natural environment. We have CMORs. We have SDPs. We have why don't the kids run for cover when you make them talk? That goes with that a CMOR part. We talk about MOs, pairing, relationship building, meeting them where they are, relationship enhancing skills between parents and child, <laughs> reflect, label, phrase, avoid questions and commands, zero negative talk. Okay, I'm getting too far now. Behavior momentum, high P, low P, probability, pre-MAC principle. And now that I've read the entire task list, hopefully we could get you to pass the entire ABA exam in one episode. We have to start by giving selective mutism and operational definition. Steve, please give it to us. Oh my God, I'm out of breath. That was amazing. And we, I, and we are going to do all of that in one hour. I know we are. We uh, are. So he asked us what mutism. percentage, uh, sorry. He asked us what percentage we usually get to. And I was like, ah, oh, like 40, maybe. <laughs> I think you're like 75 to 80. I think Thank you're you good. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, so selective mutism is uh, the reluctance and reticence to speak in some settings despite being completely able to speak and demonstrating that in other settings. So typically the home is where there are little chatterboxes and typically school is the first place that they may completely shut down. Interesting. Is it ever the opposite? It's never the opposite, but in the school setting, they could be kids who talk to peers, but not teachers, teachers, but not peers, but typically they're uh, reluctant and reticent to talk to both. So and I remember from Chelsea's episode, it's not a behavioral deficit. It's a performance deficit. Absolutely. By definition. Right. Okay. Not a, not a, um, it's a, not, not a, a skills, skills deficit. deficit. Right. There you go. Now, 40% when well-controlled studies are done will have skills deficits in language, but that doesn't account for the complete or most, mostly shutting down in the school setting. So they may have expressive language difficulties that are testable, but that's not the reason that they're not speaking. What is that? You wanna hear the coolest paradigm for yes. testing that out? Yeah. They yeah. trained parents to be test givers, not test interpreters, and they videotaped it to make sure the parents weren't like accidentally giving away the answers. And they found still that the kids had significant expressive language deficits even when testing with their parents. Who they're supposed to be comfortable with, right? Who they are comfortable with, right. Yeah. You ready for the quirkiest conditioning to an absolute stimulus of SM? Yes. Twin, twin girls who don't talk in their class ever to anybody, except every other Wednesday at 3.15. You tell me why. We have um, to know. I need a scatter plot. I need scatter plot data. No, no, the scatter plot. We already have the time. We don't need a scatter plot. Okay. 315 every other can I, Wednesday. Can I ask some questions? Sure. You know the answer? I know the answer. <laughs> okay. Hopefully he does. Wait, 315 every other Wednesday? Yes. In their classroom, in the same room that they don't talk in same all teacher? the other times. Same teacher. No. Okay. So that's one different variable. It's one different variable. Is that it? No. 
Okay. Every other was, Wednesday I, at three fifteen is Girl Scouts. So they, really, they enjoy it. It's a preference, no? Same peers, same room. You tell me. Discriminative stimulus. Discriminative stimulus. Woo! And then the other time they spoke in school was on like an open school night kind of deal where there's no history of prior not speaking in that context. Wow, that's very interesting. And I'm thinking right now that discriminative stimulus, right, changing the availability of reinforcement or matching law, right? Like whatever's happening at 315 is more reinforcing for them. Much more reinforcing. I think I'm a genius, guys. I just, I mean. <laughs> I was in school yesterday observing a three-year-old with SM for the first time. Kid didn't know me. And he's talking away just fine to the teachers. When they move over to, to the afternoon circle time, I was trying to prompt a teacher to get the kid over to the rug. And all of a sudden, being on the rug was stimulating enough. He was sitting on that same rug. But in the presence of the teacher who was reinforcing, he was talking to her just fine. But when she prompted him to come to the rug, where he's never walked in class yet, because he also goes limp, then all of a sudden, the rug was more reinforcing. And mm -hmm. I immediately thought of the bitches. <laughs> Did I you yell it. bitch in class or something? <laughs> nah. Yeah. That's really that's context. You got to do things in context, right? Yeah. Exactly. Wait, so that's really interesting. So, can you see that a child will respond to an individual what you know when it's at the back table of the classroom where she does yeah. small reading groups but not at all when it's in, you know, a full class setting like she's presenting in the front of the class? And that's part of the shaping paradigm is first we pair the kid with talking in a neutral room with preferred activities. Then we, we, so we're meticulous about changing one variable at a time, person, place, or activity. Component so, analysis. So mm -hmm. I could play spot it, headbands, and guess who with the kid in my office. We then take the same games, me and the kid, to a neutral room, like it could be the OT's room or a breakout room in school. And then I can either bring in somebody else to those games with us, or I can bring those games at 7.15 into the actual classroom and nobody's there. But it's the meticulous changing one variable at a time that makes this work. So you're right. The kid is much more likely in general to talk in the back of the classroom in a three-to-one than going back to the same full group setting, which we call contaminated settings. I that That is the word you use, contaminated settings. And bring me back to that because... You're so an, I think, ADHD. Well, I think you're an we, ADHD expert, but you need to go back to what you were saying for one second. Right. I think you, I think what were, we do what, uh, what, uh, <laughs> I think what we do well in our in our approach is we take these behavioral concepts and we make it into language that resonates for people. So if I say contaminated settings, you think discriminative stimulus for the absence of a behavior. So that would be an S delta, right? Yes. And I love I'm guessing that. you. I actually don't know that. I love that you just guessed me because I'm such a yes person. <laughs> I'm like, yes. And then they'll be like, do you really? My aunt always says that. Do you really know what I just said? And I'm like, mm -hmm. yep, totally got it. Yep, good. Um, so you said the absence of reinforcement, right? Like there's no reinforcement available for whatever it may be, right? That is your contaminated setting? I think of it as more as uh, that that setting is actually punishing for the kid. I, no, okay. it's not an S delta. It's an SDP, as we discussed. Mm -hmm. It's a discriminative stimulus for punishment. Like, right. oh shit, I know when I go into music class, my teacher always makes me come do my solo in front of the class. So that person becomes a, 
what we call condition motivating operation reflexive. Like it's like when you see her, it's like it, it makes it increases the value of escape and avoidance behavior in Absolutely, that setting. Yes. Okay. And what you said is interesting because I one of the things they say as in our ethics code, and I think a lot of behavior analysts do this, and I mean I'm sure I do it too, is talk like assholes. Like, yes, it's a condition motivating operation of a reinforcing setting because if the stimulus is there, it's obviously evoking the operation, right? And it's like, what? And it's actually <laughs> really simple things. It's like, no, you you, Something you was hit. there and shit happened. And yeah, <laughs> like you hit the kid last time. Now they see you. They don't want to see you again. You know. Um. So I appreciate you coming in here and making this non-technical jargon. So you're saying contaminated setting a kid has associated. Let's say absolutely yes. It's been punishing before. It's been punishing, or rather, they have successfully escaped, mm -hmm. and they're going to repeat the escape behavior when presented with the same prompt. So Steve, I know when we talked uh, and we had talked about this with Chelsea and you were like, you guys were almost there, but not really there with that negative reinforcement cycle. Right. Can you go in? I can. So what Chelsea said was the kid gets prompted in aisle three of the supermarket. Hi, sweetie. What's your name? What grade are you going into? The kid has a false alarm. And so they get anxious, but they actually get too anxious. They hide behind the pants or the skirt of the adult that's there. And what Chelsea said was, and then when the parent rescues everybody feels better and i i argued against that i said it's not that they feel better they only feel less bad mm, yeah and that's the classic negative reinforcement cycle that yeah the aversive stimulus is taken away i suddenly now so feel amazing powerful. yeah yeah interesting um so this is cool that we have both sides because we had someone who actually went through having selective mutism, something that I definitely cannot speak to. Um, no amen. shit. <laughs> <laughs> we got three amens on that. I know. Like, nope. Never know what that's like. I'm sure everyone listening at the exact same time was like, okay, Leah, no shit. <laughs> um, so we had that, but so what piqued your interest to get involved in selective mutism? The, what piqued my interest was uh, this time of year, it was like March of, a, of an academic year, and the child psychiatrist where I worked, which was the NYU Child Study Center, had evaluated a kid who was in uh, kindergarten at the time, and what was described was he is still standing at the back door of the room. He has never gone into the room. He has never sat down. He has never eaten in school. He has never used a bathroom in school. He won't take pens or pencils from the teacher. And he's wearing the same gray sweatpants and tie-dye shirt every day. And it didn't smell like autism. Mm -hmm. and you know I, that I, autism smell. It is like very no, like, when they yeah, when they say musky, you know, the, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know, the 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 gray sweatpants and the tie-dye shirt every day, people think that kind of rigidity and know, so that yeah. that's what's on their radar. Um and this kid had been told by people with licenses that the parents have to be prepared for a lifetime of institutionalization. And yeah. there was, I had had one case like five years before and not knowing what to do, but just having good behavioral chops, I did the same shaping that I do today. Only now I can predict what I'm going to do and it's organized and I have names for it all. But this kid piqued my interest. And uh, I think had that case not gone so well, had he had not had a good response to treatment, I don't know that I'd be here doing this. But as you know, the stuff we go through that's reinforcing to us makes us 
propelled to do the same thing again. So I think I kind of got lucky. I was smart, but I also got lucky. That's amazing. Oh, that kid, that kid, by the way, wrote his memoirs a couple of years ago about successfully overcoming SM. And he's been a counselor. He worked the program the same year that Chelsea did. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. So how how do you operationally, let's say, differentiate between that autism piece and that selective mutism piece? So it used to be thought you couldn't have autism and selective mutism at the same time, but you can. And what I'm looking for in the differential diagnosis is just the delta, the difference between the kids functioning in environment A and environment B. So if I watch a tape of an autistic kid who has, let's say on a scale of zero to 10, let's say his eye contact is five, his verbal ability is five, his stereotypies is five. Let's say he's a straight five at home and I see it with my own eyes and then goes to school and he's a three across the board, I want to know why why that delta. Interesting. Yeah, with that change, right? And if I then bring the parent into the kid's classroom and get everybody else out and he comes back up to a five, I know it doesn't have so much to do with the room as the social environment. So there's some stimulus control there. Absolutely stimulus control. You're conducting like a little mini like functional analysis of like the conditions and seeing that's right what is evoking that behavior and turning it on and off right and when i get um forgetful or greedy and i change two variables at a time and the, and it, it doesn't work i don't know which variable was the more salient one to have uh you know introduced first and that's going to affect your internal validity guys <laughs> He doesn't know which independent variable is affecting the behavior at that time. It's a confounding variable coming. From I, I want kickbacks when these guys pass their BCBA exam. <laughs> yes. And literally, I agree. This episode is literally going through everything. <laughs> it's littered with it all. But, you know, it's every session that we do has all of this. It literally does. It's right there mm -hmm. before our eyes when we do every single treatment session. It's beautiful. It's a real life application of it, which is what yeah. we want to do here on the podcast. So this could not be more amazing or like geeking out for me. <laughs> yeah. Hookers, pimps, profilers. <laughs> and Stephen Kurtz. Yeah. That's what I, I, I'm just, you know, as the podcast has gone on more and more, it's, you know, we're starting to really find ourselves to realize we want these cool you know, like one-off things, you know, not necessarily like the same topic every time. Like, let's talk about um, insurance and autism and this and autism, you know, yeah. not that I don't love autism. My brother has autism, but these things that I think a lot of people don't realize are all behavior. You're using the exact same principles, whether you're doing a hostage negotiation, you're getting um, pimps off the street, you're using selective mutism. I mean, it's just, um, this, the same principles. That's what I think is so cool. You could seem so smart, but once you understand the basics of an antecedent behavior consequence, what's evoking a behavior, you, you could do anything. One of my favorite anecdotes was the one kid in many, many years of doing this who was reinforced by my leaving his school after he earned his five points rather than my staying and having special time. So when he earned his points, he'd point to the exit door and <laughs> I had to leave. And I just thought, this is fabulous. This yeah. is fabulous. If that's but, what's going to reinforce him for hitting the mark, I'm out of here. 
I love that. Yep. You know, I always do this um, every now and then on my Instagram, I'll be like, what's the most unique reinforcer you've seen from a kid? And people are like, um, this person likes me. I, I have them all say, what were some of the weird ones? I mean, some like autism ones you hear a lot, like a vacuum, but someone's like me frowning, me um, um, getting to teach me the session, getting to lead the session. Um, like so many, a hair that, they like to get a hair that comes off of my finger, you know, like a tiny <laughs> like peach fuzz and they carry it around all day or like a piece of string in a bag. And it's like, whatever works, go I'll for it. Do. If me, yeah, if you want I me to, to leave let, the room. I, yeah, I used to let one of my clients, if he was, I worked with adults, but if he was real good because he had some serious uh, SIB behaviors, he could pluck whatever hair he wanted off of my arm with a pair of tweezers, I'd go, go for it, buddy. He'd look all day for it. And I'm like, woo, you did it. You made it through the day without, you know, this is the same nerdiness that we have in our work with OCD patients, where it's like a competition who did the weirdest thing with the patient to <laughs> yeah. do exposure to therapy. Wait, just for fun. I'm just going to read you a few that I pulled up. So I said, what's the weirdest reinforcer you've ever used with a client? Someone said, Amari Povich token board. He'd love the show. You're not the father. There was one. <laughs> what's the weirdest? This person said, a lid to a soup pot. This person said, playing with a lever on an office chair. Okay, that's kind of fun. An instruction manual. Um, a client used to want me to smell his feet and say, ooh, stinky feet. <laughs> I love it. I love all these. Um, but they're just funny. All let's right. So let's, let's peanut butter jelly off that topic. Peanut butter sorry. jelly Steve, is what we say when we're way off topic. Um, sorry. And it's just cause we got a review, <laughs> one of our one star reviews. We like to call ourselves out feedback, as you know, is very important. Right. Um, that said these girls take too long to get to the topic and both. So peanut butter jellies are like, was his nickname. Was his, it was his, username. it was his actual Apple username. I hope he's still out there listening somewhere. Uh, he's oh he actually still gave us a five star review, but wrote that feedback because he's like my girlfriend wants me to give you five stars. Okay, Casey, peanut butter and jelly. Anyways, right. anyways, Steve, uh, I want I want to know about this, okay? Because this is what you do, right? PCIT, yep. PCIT. Please tell me more about that. All right, so parent-child interaction therapy, out of the uh, out of Oregon in the seventies, where social learning theory and principles were being fleshed out into great new treatments. Uh, a bunch of folks were working with very, very, very disruptive kids, kids with oppositional defiance disorder, conduct disorder, all kinds of behavioral issues. And what they realized was that the kids would behave fabulously well with the play therapist in the playroom. And then kids would go out in the waiting room and be little shits with their parents all over again. Mm -hmm. So there was no learning, no generalization, no maintenance, no mediation, no, involving of the stakeholders <laughs> like that. That's what I meant. I just didn't say it. <laughs> I know. Um, and so they packaged together this treatment that was two phases. The first phase was teaching parents how to be super high rate reinforcers. Mm -hmm. And so they learned positive attending and the acronym that's used in the treatment is the pride skills praise, which is always labeled praise, reflections, imitation, behavioral descriptions, and enjoyment. But here's my favorite thing about the behaviorism in that. You can count praises, you can count behavioral descriptions, and you can count accurate reflections. We all assume that praises are reinforcing, 
But the beauty of this is that with data, we know that both reflections and behavioral descriptions are reinforcers. So if you're playing with Legos and I say, oh my goodness, you're putting the one on the red one and now you added the door. Oh my goodness, now you made a pathway. All of that is reinforcing. Right. Um, so PCIT packaged together this two-phase treatment, which is relationship enhancement. And then as if that's a foundation, scaffolding on limit setting and discipline. Now it happened that Dr. Sheila Eiberg packaged together PCIT at the same time, Rex Forehand packaged together, helping the non-compliant child. Carolyn Webster Stratton did the incredible years. So if you went into Google Scholar and said, help me find an empirically supported treatment, you'd get those three. I just happen to be well-schooled in PCIT. But what I love about this is the two-stage part, right? You build the relationship, which Liat's going to say, pairing, guys, that's pairing. <laughs> pairing, guys, that's pairing. There you go. And then you can add limits setting and discipline. I think of it as, I didn't give you this term ahead of time, but you guys know Vygotsky's Zones of Proximal Development? I learned that forever ago. It's awesome stuff. Here's the idea. You got what you can do without assistance in the middle circle, concentric circles, what you can do with assistance in the next circle going out, and then what you can't even do with assistance at the, at the last zone going out. So if you have a strong relationship, if you trust and you find somebody reinforcing, you can stretch yourself to do things you didn't think you could do, like tolerate frustration, like delay gratification. And you guys talked about this on a previous podcast. You said, first thing we do is just meet the kid where they're at, give them the reinforcer, then we can work on deny and delay. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I woke up one morning and said, aha, but the adaptation I made of PCAT for PCAT adapted for selective mutism was build a damn relationship, make sure everybody's reinforcing, and then you can get kids to do things out of their comfort zone, like answer, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Mm -hmm. That's pairing, friends. That is pairing. You're right. Liat is going to say that's pairing because if you guys have not seen or heard, shall I say, because it's a podcast, um, the common theme of no matter what we're talking about, whether it is getting someone to um, not to let go of a hostage or not kill themselves or, you know, pair with a client before you go put demands on them to stop engaging in self-interest behavior or you're trying to get other pimps off the street. You have to pair with those individuals first. If you are going to go in there and straight up be like, get yourself off the ledge. Stop it. Like, it's going to be a straight up fuck you, okay? That's what's going to happen. And I think that's exactly what you're saying, right? You're not going to go and be like, talk to me. Talk to me. You don't want to talk? So just talk to me. You need to. They're going to hate you. So if I told you that we put a parent and a kid in a room with a one-way mirror, and we have a stranger go in, a stranger who's got to be like a 19-year-old college student who knows these child-directed relationship skills, and if I told you that after two and a half minutes of using these skills, praising whatever is praisable with specific label praise, describing whatever the child is doing, if they happen to be talking, reflecting it, that we increase the probability that the child will answer the stranger's question from 28% to 43% after only two and a half minutes of this stuff. This is special sauce. Special Arby's sauce. I love it. And that's what we found when we tested this out. We'll send a stranger in. They ask a question. Then we have them do two and a half minutes of this child-directed 
interaction skills and the rate of answering pairing, right? Went up to 43%. That's amazing. So you're taking baseline data. You're taking baseline. Do they respond? Do they not respond? And now you do your pairing treatment and you'll see if they respond or not. That's where you got this data, I'm assuming. Exactly. And so our assessment actually becomes part of our treatment. So and I, I'm just going to, I want to talk this out because I like to like conceptualize what you're saying. And I heard this at a conference. It was some type of parent training. And they had parents come in and they just observed how they interacted. And the parents were like, oh, I never, I don't even place demands. I'm always reinforcing. And without realizing it, right, in baseline, and maybe you have um, seen this, is that everything the parent said was a demand, even if it didn't seem like a demand. Like open-ended questions are serving as almost that like negative, it's like some kind of demand. Like they're forced to respond, right? Yeah, like- yeah. A parent being like, so, so which one tell, do you want? <laughs> yeah. So tell Mr. Steve over here what you did this weekend. Versus right? being that's like, like the worst. Versus the like worst. the specified or specific label praise of like, oh, I see you playing with that truck. That truck is so cool. It's blue. I love that. Your pants are cool. Your hair is cool. I don't know. These are just like random things. And we get it even into the nitty gritty as we're teaching parents to literally the mastery criteria for the parent is mm-hmm. to avoid all questions, all prompts to speak, even to the point of, oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. We consider that a command. Yeah. So we help them substitute, my God, this is so cool the way this fits in there like that. Yes, I love this. So this we don't like let great. them graduate to the verbal directed interactions until they've hit mastery on the non-directed interaction. What about the idea of literally not even giving that much attention to what they're doing, just like parallel playing with exactly what they like. Or like, you know, this kid loves Legos. So you act obsessed with Legos. Like you want to build this thing. And if they want to come so, to you, that's cool. So we too. definitely, we definitely do our homework and go with preferred activities. And you're going to love what the Norwegians labeled their approach. So Norwegians did a similar behavioral approach that we do, and they called it defocused communication defocused communication, meaning that you come out of the ABA world, at least old school ABA, and there's a lot of commands or expectations for eye contact. The Norwegians said, let's dial down the intensity of the interaction and just do Mm co-constructing or what you're calling parallel play. So, and I have to help a lot of parents and teachers not get neurotically Involved look at me, look contact. at me, attend, 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 right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I think it's the last thing we can do to fine tune the intensity of the interaction. And what I say to every parent, if your kid answered and talked 100% of the time and never had eye contact, you would not be in my office today. Right. And trust me, the eye contact will come if it's part of the repertoire. You'd be in my office. Yeah, be in her office. It's interesting. Actually, this I, is I, the behavior bitch's office. I don't bring any kids in here. Profanity. I find myself struggling with eye contact to this day as a fully functioning master's degree BCBA. When I, I just went to, this is just a random example of my life, but I went to orange theory the other day and the, um, it was my first day. The instructor came out. She wanted to like walk me through all this stuff and tell me all about it. Her and I one-on-one and I just couldn't handle the eye contact. It was too much. It was too much pressure, too much like awkwardness. I just like needed it to be more natural and making eye contact directly was not natural in that moment. Right. Is it true that in general, ABA folks have moved away from demanding that and expecting it and 
that's a goal. I, I think that they, they have, I mean, I think there's definitely talk about that they should. Like, how important is that for this kid necessarily when you're looking at socially you know, significant, right? Socially significant that, behaviors. Yeah. Like, okay, if you have this kid manding or requesting items and now, you know, or independently able to go to the bathroom themselves, is that more important than you sitting there with an M&M on your forehead so they look at you? Because are they even looking at you for the purpose of, you know, when I look at someone, it's I'm doing it more for the idea to see like, are they listening to me? What I'm saying, you know, I'm listening. Are they looking, if I'm saying like that guy is so hot, I'm going to like check in with my friend to see if she's looking at the same guy I am. I think I don't want to say anything wrong. So anyone listening, I believe that's some form of joint attention. Um, we, but, we make sure that our counselors and therapists reinforce eye contact when it happens, but we're not man. We're not demanding it. Yeah. It should be natural. It should be absolutely, yeah, re great, like, exactly. Reinforce when it happens, but it's not, again, when you're teaching, like, the man training, so teaching them to request what they want. We're not focused on saying manners right away, right? right. Please and thank you. Those come, right? We get on the Facebook stuff for SM, we get asked all the time about manners mm -hmm. and asked why is, why are manners, like, the, the highest thing on the hierarchy? Um, what one of our colleagues calls the big five, I think it's high by yes, no, and something else. But I usually put those way up on the hierarchy and worry about a lot of other things first. Yeah, because on and again, it's cultural too. You could go into someone's home and it's very cultural. It's very cultural. That they that please is very important, or ma'am, or sir. I have I have a great way to disarm people about manners. You ready? Ready. I look at them and I say, "Tell me, are you rude?" No, I'm not. And I've never had anybody tell me. Never. <laughs> I say, Listen, after we get rid of the selective mutism, all of your values that you've been modeling, they'll, they'll take hold. You got to trust me on that. And they do. That's a good one. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I think Liat might answer that if you asked her that. She would go. No, yep. my, in my head. My, no, <laughs> she, hesitated. My, she hesitated. It, no, in my head, I swear. Like, I'm very quick to respond to things. I was like, ish. Like, I swear <laughs> to God, that was my response in my head. Ish. <laughs> Rudish, <laughs> but that's just like my like rebel inside of me just like always wanting to be like stom the opposite you know okay so now next question we have so many to get to and we have the whole task list to cover but something that you had said and, and you were saying you know you'll change one um variable component, variable component at a time yep. And I know you said when we were on the phone, you're like, I'm even so crazy that I have to make sure if I'm going somewhere that I'm bringing my own Uno deck that I played with the kid in my office and the exact um, set of dominoes that I had in case like theirs is a different, like mine are yeah. red and black and theirs are green and black, the pieces or. Um, yeah. I think the conditioning is that strong. And that's so you're training for generalization across settings, across individuals and in ABA. So we have, we do generalization across settings, across um, settings, behaviors, and what was the last one I just said? People. Location. So I, oh, I said. That would be settings, right? I, what did I say? I'm my ADD, you see? It's my settings. Adderall by this time is like. <laughs> settings, behaviors, and subjects. Subjects exactly. are people. Yeah. Right. So I'm sure you're doing some treatment and you don't mean to do that properly, but sometimes you're probably working on something with a kid and then 
the other kids in the classroom might start engaging in that behavior of talking because they're like, he's getting offered a candy for doing it. So now I'll tell you my favorite ice cream. They do. And I purposely go in. I tell teachers when I come in, I know you may be nervous about my coming in and disrupting the flow, but I promise you I will be the best assistant teacher you have ever had. That's exactly and and I used to say when I was younger that I'll be like the favorite aunt and uncle. Now I say I'll be like the favorite grandfather. So whatever it takes. It's going to keep changing with the uh, the age, right? Yeah. That, it's so funny when you say that because that one kid that I worked with that had an autism diagnosis, but I swear he was the best behaved kid in the class. And when he was home, he would just like chatter. And I'm like, this is not autism. But I didn't really know that mo much yeah. about selective mutism. I was like all the kids in the class just love me because if anything, I didn't want to give him too much attention to like respond in the group things. So I'd give it to his peers. And I'm like, I am the best co-teacher. Like the kids that you have more difficulty with, I'm here for. It's true. And when I go in and I'm connecting with the other kids in the class, if I'm going around a circle saying, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? I want my patient to be the third or the fourth kid that we get to because I want two or three modeling it before and I don't want him sitting there waiting till he's like the last one in line to answer. So I'm very purposeful to gain some modeling and some momentum and get to the kid. Uh, Behavior, you know, like, momentum, momentum, high P. <laughs> How annoying are we? This is awesome. <laughs> I'm getting crash course in ABA. You're kidding? This is great. Yes, high probability request sequence. You want to build that momentum where it's like. Well, that's what you said he did earlier. He did say, he's like, I'm going to have them do something that's a high probability they're going to do. So, you know, start off with a question. What you said, like, you'll ask some easier questions first, right? Didn't you say that? They're not when, even questions, right? No, when you get to the question point. What we've established is that there are three kinds of questions. There's yes, no questions, forced choice or multiple choice questions, and open-ended questions. The ones... What I tell parents or teachers when I meet them, if you only remember one thing of everything I tell you today, the only thing I want you to remember is never, ever again, ask a yes, no question. And if you do, I want you to forgive yourself and picture me tasing you because yes, no questions pull for nodding, gesturing and pointing. And that's the last thing we want to do. In fact, the, probably the first discovery I made, if there was one was the value of not asking kids with SM any questions. Because I knew without treatment, there's no probability mm -hmm. or no reasonable probability that they're going to answer me. So why would I want to start off throwing strikes that they can't hit? No, but I'm saying, so once you've already done that pairing yes. piece, that pairing piece, making we, yourself... Um, we go for fourth choice questions that are embedded into a high probability, high preferred activity. Okay, so that's exactly what we call an ABA. We call it high P, low P, where you do something that's a high probability. So you'll be like, hey, bud, you want the kid to um, do a math problem, like a multiplication problem that's hard, right? And so you're like, hey, bud, touch your nose, clap your hands, touch your head, do the math problem, right? Because you're building that by doing, so you do like two to five high probability um, requests, and then you follow it with a lower probability item. And so the start of our morning meeting every day at our group is we start with easy to do nonverbal compliance tests, mm -hmm. touch your nose, point to the window, 
and then we get into the verbals. I had just had this fabulous fantasy. You ready for this? Yeah. You guys come with your headphones and your mics like I'm looking at now, yeah. and you sit on the side of our group room, and you're like the announcers. Kurtz goes for a high P, low P. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I actually think we should do that. Kurtz just threw a pre-Mac principal at you. That's a low P, high P. That's <laughs> oh so my cool. God. Look at that shaping. He totally said that was okay. He was cool with that response, even though the kid barely responded. That's a successive approximation to a terminal behavior. <laughs> that's that's exactly what we should do. And we have tapes of our like morning meeting stuff. I love but it would be so cool as an ABA learning tool. That's really cool. Wait, I actually Steve, I feel like that. we've just formed a lifelong partnership here. I know. Like, collaboration, friendship, and learning. I think it's great. Wait, and it's in New York City, right? In the city. Yes. We, uh, we get to use a school to increase the big G word. Generalization. Generalization. Oh my God, we, we are such nerds, the three of us. <laughs> yeah, we get to use a real school. Mm -hmm. A real awesome. school? That would real be school, real Creating park. a training environment so you're programming common stimuli, right? Are you sitting down? Yes. So we had our winter group a couple of weeks ago, and we took them to the Italian restaurant down the street to get pizza. We gave them the laminated menus ahead of time so they could rehearse with us what they were going to order. Mm -hmm. And then because we wanted it to be errorless learning. Oh, I brought oh he two, threw an errorless learning. We brought in two teenage girls who I had treated for SM when they were younger. And they were uh, pretend waitresses to the kids. So Ooh. they knew how to deal with pointing, nodding, and gesturing by waiting five seconds and then representing the question as a forced choice. Do you want pizza with cheese or without cheese? And if the kid would give them a blank stare or point, they'd say, I see you're pointing. Do you want it with cheese or without cheese? Delayed I, prompting. What, so, and, and, so you're training for the natural contingencies that are going to happen. Like she said. Thank wow, you, Steve. Steve, I think just for fun, I want to send you a a little mock exam to see how you do on ABA because everything you're just for fun, I like think you would pass with flying colors. It's so funny. I want to title this episode. I don't even want to like make it even about SM. I want to be like, you want to pass the BCBA exam? You listen to episode 39. <laughs> oh, you you'd be interested in this. We have uh, we recruit college counselors and graduate students, but mm -hmm. always we have outside therapists from different disciplines who come in and learn from us and, and work the program with us. And I find that everybody has something to teach us about their angle on this. So we have speech language folks come. We have an OT come. Um, we haven't yet had the bitches come, but, you know, we can work on that. Wait, I actually think, Casey, this is a really cool thing. I think we should make ourselves two-day unpaid interns and we come and we set up exactly we go in and we just announce everything that's happening i think it will be hilarious and i think that collaboration is key i mean we learn that even when we're studying for the exam or whatever it is you collab even though aba we're say evidence-based empirically supported guess what other fields are also evidence-based and empirically supported and we work together and we collab which i love you saying that about speech language ot whatever it may be it also may be true that some people are more intuitively doing things that work and get reinforced for it even though they have no idea about the underlying principles yeah. but don't worry the behavior bitches will label that for you we can tact <laughs> anything say, tact. <laughs> tact is labeling things in your environment
we could tack the shit out of behavior anywhere. Try me. Love it. Um, actually, in fact, I gave my husband for Valentine's Day a coupon that said, this coupon allows you to use at any time for me not to talk about behavioral principles for 10 oh, minutes. Oh, that's for, great. For 10 minutes. And then you threw in a behavior principle and then right there. At the bottom of it. And I was like, this this would be negative, negative reinforcement. reinforcement. I said, <laughs> that's negative reinforcement. And I crossed it off. And I said, sorry, whoops. Like as a joke. Like so we could see that's that great. I wrote it. Steve, that's um, perfect. I love it. So, I mean, we have covered so many damn things. But actually, Casey, I think, I mean, we can talk about this after the episode. But I think we should go stay at my sister in the city. Mm -hmm. Um. And we plan a time that we could come in and I would just love to do, like, Steve, it's, you're right. I mean, this was a brilliant idea. We just go in and we sports because I don't know anything about actual sports. It's so fabulous. we just, we just broadcast what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's great. It'd be so fun. Okay. Now we actually have covered most things on the list, which is insanity. I want to make sure I get in one resource for people. Oh, you didn't do token economy. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, but I want to make sure we have this free online web course that teaches this treatment. And the research that we did on the course shows that people come out significantly more knowledgeable and a bit more skilled. And uh, literally over 2,000 people have taken the course for free since 2015. So it's selectivemutismlearning.org. All is one that, word. Is that yours? Yeah, we created it when some grad student at NYU in the business school of all things said, I need to do a project. Is there anything I can do? And so we put up this web course and it has stood the test of time. It's really fun. What is it? Selective mutism learning.org. Well, and I you know what? I actually, to the show notes. it's in yeah, our show notes yeah. now. It was also, I think Chelsea also had that in her show notes when we, when she, she came did. on. Yeah. She okay, did, good. Yeah. So I added it again. Perfect. So here's the deal on our token economy. We start out with a fixed ratio one. Oh, continuous yeah. reinforcement. Continuous reinforcement in place. That's when you're teaching a behavior. You want to reinforce that shit every single every time. time. Acquisition, we, baby. Acquisition. Successive approximations. So if they get a bit of a word out, we're all over it with that token reinforcement. Shaping. And so I have a question for you guys. Why am I the first to fade the ratio to less than uh, FR1 compared to my trainees. What do you mean? You're the agent, from, you're the... If you if, if I if I look at my trainees, how they treat cases, and I look at me, mm -hmm. I am quicker to not reinforce on every verbalization than they are. Is it A, because I'm lazier, or B, because I have a better kind of gut sense of the momentum that the kid is building and that they don't need the one-to-one -one correspondence? I think you have a learning history of what works probably right. in terms of and so have. and if you're going to be teaching a protocol techno like being technological and giving someone else you you know there, there's a higher likelihood it's going to be successful if you give that specific like hey i need you to use an fr1 for 20 responses yep. then we're slowly going to fade it to um a, a vr2 about every two right or whatever it is yeah so I think that you have been doing it for so long that sometimes what actually happens, like I think at least, 
you know, there's things that the texts say as like the protocol and I'd say someone new learning something. And then as you go on, you start feeling out things. Like I I think at a certain point I could feel out people and be like, but to put it in behavioral terms, it's what I've heard you guys allude to before that we're subject to the same goddamn contingencies that everybody else is. So Mm -hmm. I've been shaped to be able to get away with that, which means that I can release the kid sooner and know that confidently that they're going to do well. And you realize that if you continue to do that, FR1, what is going to happen? Prompt. You're never going to, right. It'll be prompt dependent the whole time. Yep. So uh, what what I do is kind of look for, if I have myself and a kid in the room, let's say I faded out the parent already. Mm-hmm. And then I bring in the teacher and I say to the teacher very transparently in this work, do me a favor, just watch and hang out on the side of the room while I show you how we do our thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how transparent we are. What I'm looking for is about an 80% response rate or any spontaneity from the child. If the kid is answering 80% of my prompts or they're spontaneous, I know the teacher is ready to come half the distance. And that's kind of my default movement is come half the distance from where they are to where we are. And then again, if the kid is 80% responding to prompts or spontaneous, I have them come half of half the distance. And before you know it, they're sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. And while I'm doing the, the force choice open-ended questions, I want the teacher still doing the child-directed stuff only until I very subtly say, go ahead and ask your first force choice question. <laughs> That's how subtle we <laughs> right. are. Right. But listen, so I know, and we were talking about this last night in our supervision class that we were doing as a BCBA when you have supervisees and you're training them. And, you know, the importance of being really c- clear, concise, and technological in your protocol. So I'm sure on this learning, uh, selective mutism learning.org, you probably had to be technological and you say, do this on every single thing, right? There's certain things or, you know, in our textbook, our Cooper textbook, it says, when you're doing a functional analysis, go through all four, uh, all four variable or all four function conditions. Yeah. Conditions, whatever it is, you know, but once you've been doing it for a little while, it's different than like, like, for example, if I, yeah. If I the straight up knew, reliability for validity, so exactly you get really high that. reliability, but you yeah. you may sacrifice a little bit of validity. And but again, it's worth it. if you want to get real nerdy, um, if you're doing a FA, get talk nerdy to me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to go through all four conditions, there's a thing called a contingency adduction, which means that you are just going to, if you see the behavior happening high in the attention phase you know what, screw it, we're not going to go through the other ones, let's immediately throw that adduction, we're going to offer non-contingent reinforcement, see if it changes, offer reinforcement for an alternate appropriate behavior, here we go, I love this shit, sorry, there we go. Thank God <laughs> they can hit rewind and go to the half speed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, seriously. Oh, we had so I much gotta to tell get you, Sometimes I listen to you at one and a half speed, and then I have to kind of ratchet back sometimes to one speed. Did you know you can do that on your podcast? I yeah, it's so yeah. cool. I do right, a yeah, Double speed is out of control. <laughs> can I tell you, I, I just want to say, I just like pinching myself a little bit. I'm like, we have this amazing this big yeah. dude in the field listening to our behavior bitches episode. Like we did not <laughs> ever see this coming. It's and happening. I, no, you. I feel so that... You know, we're like, who's going to want to listen to us? You know, <laughs> these two girls just talking shit about behavior all day long. And the fact that you show us such interest, it means 
so much, especially someone with as much experience as you have and knowledge. It's just so cool. And also, Steve, the coolest thing he did, too, is when we first talked to him, he sent us in the mail these pins that says, get uncomfortable. What is it? Get comfortable, get comfortable. being uncomfortable. I got and a thousand of them in my closet here. Do you want to I love it. Like <laughs> I got this thing in the mail and it said a nice handwritten card, right? And we are such handwritten people. We like right here. I'm sending out handwritten cards. You guys can't see it, but Steve can. He did the same thing. A handwritten card. Like, can't wait to get to know you guys There's more. There's a thousand of them in there. I love it. <laughs> and so, like, that's like the, the touch, the, like, just caring and kindness and compassion of who and Steve is. And paying it forward. And it's paying all it paying forward. it forward. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. We're just so blessed and happy that you came on today and that you, you know, he even emailed. I lied in my week. I'm so excited <laughs> the, to do this. The funniest part too, he emailed and one of the things he said in the email was, hey guys, I just had to Google what AF meant, which means like cool as fuck, <laughs> right? Cool AF. He's like, had to Google it and, uh, you know, just great. Just so real and honest. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here and disseminate the science in all aspects in relatable and understandable ways so that people don't feel like it's such a threat or it's like so scary. It's not guys. It's not. So. And we will be, and we are looking forward to um, live broadcasting from a selective mutism clinic near you. We will be breaking down movement by movement, verbal operant by verbal operant, everything that we could tact, we are going to call it a tacting day at the Selective Mutism to see that this happens everywhere. I wonder what the equivalent is of a triple double. Let's Ooh, see. A triple double. What's you know, a like in basketball? Double? I know. A triple double in basketball is like more than 10 rebounds, more than 10 mm -hmm. assists, and more than 10 points. Okay. So 10, 10, 10. So we're going to have to like keep – so it could be 10 that you do – 10 tax, 10 successive approximations, 10 differential reinforcements of appropriate responses. Oh, yeah, we could totally do this. I love it. Now, in our, in our disruptive work, mm. there would have to be 10 active ignorings of inappropriate <gasps> but non-dangerous behavior with contingent reinforcement when the appropriate behavior reappears. Thank Seriously? you for coming back in the room. <laughs> Seriously, you're talking dirty to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> On Valentine's Day, how appropriate. <laughs> I know. Like, no one, like, we just, like, love this shit so much. And it's just great to have, um, you know, and again, and not to mention, like, not to call out, but age difference, right? Like, Steve's an, an older man in the field. He has, what, I don't know, 30 probably You're years. You're what, experience. 90? You look about 97, 97. Is that right? 97, yep. yep. <laughs> and, you know, we're 65 uh, next month. Awesome. Ooh, great. Like my Just got my social security card. Hell yeah. AARP coming at you. Hot. Here go. <laughs> Look at he's pulling it out, guys. Not as, out. Would you as... wait? Would you clarify <laughs> what pulling it out means? <laughs> I need to objectively define that. It's a social Thank security you. card. I'm literally dying. Thank right you. <laughs> Anyways, guys, on that note, we are so happy that we had Steve Kurtz on the podcast today and guess what this will not be the last that you see of the combination between the bitches and steve cool. um thank you so much we've been waiting for this me too i know you have because the email you sent yesterday you're like i didn't get the link to join can we just do this already i love yeah, i was on at 2 30 you're kidding <laughs> i love it oh my god <laughs> we would have came on and shot the shit with you we love it it's our favorite thing to do so 
Thank you so much, Steve. Um, seriously, though, when I when I am in New York, I will reach out and I would hope Casey would come too. Cause... I'm in New Hampshire. I'm not far. My husband's from New York. It's a very, we visit a lot. So, yep. Cool. Not that Binghamton and New York City are the same at all, but no judging. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Steve's shaking his head so aggressively. Right I just now. watched Rounders the other night. They go up to Bing. You know that movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. all about behavior too. Oh, that's really, that's the movie you should dissect. Rounders. I'm writing it down. If you don't know, this is what I do when I'm. This I is a good show idea. For notes. You. Rounders. No, this yep. is a good show idea to take a movie yes. and dissect it behaviorally. These guys can are you, gamblers. Can you do it with us though? Because I just yeah. like your, I like your energy. It's yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Yeah, we have a good, we have a good like three way here. Not three sum because I would get weird again, but three way. <laughs> Let's Especially just with poor Alan on the sideline. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we have Our four. Our producers like sitting here silently. <laughs> he's he's the um the sub all right guys <laughs> i'm done all right thank you so much for tuning in steve thank you as always love you mean it, mean it. yeah <laughs>hey guys it's liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started he records our shows he posts them he adds awesome awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing he sends us teaser episodes he does it all we just sit here and friggin' talk we shoot the shit and you can record from home your office the park a bathroom stall at work it doesn't matter he provides the complete podcast studio all you need is a microphone and you're good Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need super. him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today.